0: Hey guys. Thanks for tuning in to DA Rockstars. We are so glad you're here. Whether you are a returning listener or you're new to the show, we want to welcome you back or welcome you in the first place. (laughs) Okay. So this is the time where you get your ears ready because so many pearls are going to be dropped in this episode. Jules and Mary are going to talk PPE. Okay. Superstar status PPE. They literally, they cover everything in this episode um, that I think everybody is asking to some degree or an extent uh, as far as regulations and recommendations and what's going to keep us safe. So tune in. I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. We are using the robot to find out more about Zen. Power features include... More than 250,000 products and more than 200 distributors on the platform. Zen eliminates the need for placing orders on different websites. Zen Price Comparison. It's a feature that allows you to see price transparency all in one place. Access to special pricing. They use buying leverage to negotiate prices with Zen members. Same products or house brands are typically at 25 to 40% discount. Zen Supplies gives you access to safety data sheets for all products in inventory with Zen. Either you are using iPad or desktop, MSDS will be at your fingertips. A simple feature allows you to see price transparency in one place. Entire order or individual product can be processed with a peace of mind. Did we mention free shipping on orders of $59 or more when purchasing from Zen Preferred Distributors? If you didn't like the product, you can always request a refund and return product for free. Are you ready to see Zen Supplies perform magic for your practice? Visit www.zensupplies.com.
1: Well, hello, Dental Assistant rock stars and also our superstar dental assistants. We have Mary Giovanni, and she is a dental assistant, but she's also an expert in OSHA and infection control. And we're going to go over and have a great conversation about PPE and proper protocols. So welcome, Mary. Thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here with all the superstars today. That's
1: right. That's right. Follow Mary's Facebook page at Superstar Dental Assistant. She has a lot of great information. She's been around the wheelhouse a very long time, seen it all, done it all, been there, done that. That's what I have to say about that.
2: (laughs) But I've never seen anything as crazy as this in all that time. Oh, I know.
1: And our poor dental assistants, we are thinking of you you know, stay the path and just read and educate yourself and really, you know, understand everything that's going on to, just to help you out. So. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to go over PPE. So amongst this new guidelines from the CDC and OSHA, what are, if you are a dental assistant working in an office, what are your PPE precautions that you must do and that you are recommending to keep our safe, keep our public safe, keep our family safe, just, you know, do the right thing?
2: Absolutely. Well, we have two sets of guidelines that have a little bit of conflicting information, which of course makes it difficult for us. Right. Um, we have the CDC interim guidance for dental settings, which is really meant only for treating emergency patients and not treating elective patients. And that's what is still in effect right now from CDC. Right. They will update those guidelines soon. I know the ADA is putting a lot of pressure on them to do it. And I think that the CDC, unfortunately, is getting a lot of pressure from the administration Mm to... I guess not be as active in this process, but they need to be. It's, it's just a whole lot of political, but it's not pretty So then we have on May 1st, um, OSHA issued their guidance on, um, again, it's interim treating emergency patients only. Right. And one of the things that they did was sort of reclassify our procedures in dentistry. We have historically been classified as a moderate, um, risk entity, if you will. And, now they have four categories. They have low risk, they have moderate risk, they have high risk, and they have very high risk. Okay. So the two things that we're looking at is high risk, which is right. aerosol-producing procedures. And that's got to really dictate what we're wearing for PPE, aerosol-producing procedures. And what the CDC is saying, that even aerosol-producing procedures on well patients, okay. no risk of exposure, no symptoms, nothing of that nature, requires an N95 particulate respirator or higher, okay? Okay. Um, So there's no mention in the OSHA guidance of level three masks, which is interesting. It's a little different from CDC. And then the very high risk category, of course, would be somebody who we suspect or we know has COVID. Um, And actually, if if they were a known COVID case, they shouldn't even be treated in a dental office. They should be treated in a hospital setting where there's an isolation room for them and, to. Be
1: and in. the thing is, is we need to start screening these patients from the initial phone call. That is, that okay. is what, you know, my, pro- my protocol is going to be in our office is that from the initial phone call and confirming that the day before calling them, sending out emails saying that if you suspect, if you have a fever, please stay home because I don't want them to come to the office and go through all that only to get, have a fever or tell us, oh yeah, I was tested yesterday. Right. So we really need to be on top of it because I really feel like it's going to um, affect dental offices that if they do get a suspected, what if they do test positive? Now you have to shut down your practice and have anybody that came in contact. And now in New York, they're doing contact tracing. Right. So there's all those steps that we really need to implement it from the first phone call
2: absolutely we've got to be screening 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 and I would encourage um, practices to contact their liability insurance carriers because in some cases they are requiring practices to have some type of a disclosure or disclaimer statement signed by the patient that they've been and this was probably a good idea all along that they've been accurate in their questionnaire and on their health history and they understand the risks of being treated during this pandemic, and but we're also relying on them to be honest with us. So yeah, temperature scanning when patients come in the office, making the, the patients do hand hygiene when they come in the office, those are all big changes that I think practices need to be meeting and talking about and right. getting their act together. I was gonna say something else, get their act together so that they all are on the same page. They're all conveying yes. the same message. Um, which is we are acting out of an abundance of caution here to make you safe, but to keep us safe too.
1: And so we're not putting these things in to make our lives difficult. It's to make things safer for us to do dentistry. And I don't want to be, and I keep telling the assistants that I'm in contact with, I don't want your office to be the office that's in the news
2: for, oh, goodness, no. you know, no, we no, haven't no, have, no. have any
1: dental offices in the news. Not, let's not be the first one.
2: No, because- you know.
1: Let's that would be far more disastrous.
2: Yeah, that would yeah. be far more disastrous. Sorry to interrupt you, Julie. That's right. um, mm-hmm. If if people think it's been financially h- a hardship to be closed for now going on six weeks in some cases, Right. if a practice had a case traced to them, they probably would not survive it financially. It is. That would just be so disastrous. And if a practice was not following what the prevailing guidelines were from CDC, from OSHA, and somebody decided to sue over that risk of exposure, they're done. They have no, their liability insurance probably won't cover them. they're just going to be in a in a bigger world of hurt. And so in, in the haste to open up, a lot of people are saying, well, we're just going to we can't get this. We can't get that. So we're just going to do it anyway. And the reality is that if you don't have the right PPE, you shouldn't be treating patients. Shouldn't right. be
1: and that's what I tell these pe- these girls, you know, the assistants, that if you go in your office and they have all the proper protocols in place, then, yes, see emergencies for right now. Um, do what your state governor or your health department has recommended. Um, but if they don't have the proper protocols into place, then you have to do what's right for yourself and your family. And, in, you know, if you're worried about not getting unemployment, that that's a different story. You would probably have a leg to stand on because you didn't have the proper things in place. I said, but I said, exactly. you know, hopefully most offices are putting the proper things in place when they can get the supplies to put the proper things in place.
2: Right. But, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that about when they can get them because there are so many people mm-hmm. that are just reacting to all the information that's been out there excuse me, in the past that, well, you can't get N95s and you can't get KN95s. We can't get level threes. We just can't get it. And they don't keep trying. Right. And they, they may keep trying with their distributor that they have a relationship with. Right. And if their distributor says no, they don't go any further to look where they could get them from somewhere else. Now, having said that, I know that there's a lot of controversy about these KN95 masks being fake in some cases. I don't know that I trust those KN95s to begin with. I got a sample of one yesterday to look at, and Mm -hmm. it's got perforations all over it. So what good does that do? Well, it keeps you cooler, it helps you breathe better, but it also lets the aerosols in, so that's crazy.
1: And I know some of them had issues and were pulled off a list and had paperwork issues, and they are legit and they do their 95% filtration and stuff like that, but we just have to, you know, Look at the list and make sure that what we're using is is appropriate and not not real, I guess. So proper PPEs for the assistant. What should we be doing um, from a standpoint of when we come into the office? What are you recommending?
2: I am recommending that everyone on the team comes into the office in street clothes, and they change into scrubs when they're at the office, and then they have to wear excuse me a gown over their scrubs when they're treating patients, when they're doing those aerosol producing procedures. So, and, and now, right now, while we're in the middle of the pandemic, when we do not know who the COVID positive patients might be, if they're pre-symptomatic, right. then we have to assume that every procedure is an aerosol producing procedure because we know that simply breathing or talking can release some droplets. So they yes. put a gown on whether it's a reusable one, or it's a disposable one it's up to the office to choose but right now the cdc guidance says that those must be changed after every patient right. and i understand that that's an expense that we if we're going to re-launder them that that's somebody's going to be doing laundry all day for these things right. but keep in mind that this is temporary we may not have to do that forever right. and some practices are just blown away by why do we have to wear gowns well, <laughs> we've always had to wear them. <laughs> yes, we have all the way back to 1991 in the bloodborne pathogen standard. Last no, time
1: I checked, we always had to have our arm covered and the gowns have to cover your lap and, you know, exactly. we should not have our arms exposed. I mean,
2: yeah. And the, <laughs> the only real difference is that OSHA allowed us in the past to wear that same gown until it became visibly soiled. Right. And for now, the CDC is saying, no, it needs to be changed after every patient's because there's potentially potentially infectious droplets on it. So, you know, people are freaking out about that, but they're not understanding that, you know, patients are going to be observant about those kinds of things. They're gonna wanna know, they're gonna wanna see you put that PPE, that that clothing on when you come right. in, into the room. So yeah. So that's the the, the N95s and the gowns are probably the biggest change and then yes. followed by the use of face shields. And yes. I think that face shields are good and, and probably should have been considered more in dentistry all along because of aerosols. You know, we've always had this exposure to aerosol, measles, legionella, influenza, all those things. Mm-hmm. So face shields, chin length face shields. And then there's a lot of talk about, should we wear a hair cover? Should we wear shoe coverings? Yes. Nobody's requiring it. There's suggestions. Hair covering yes. may be not a bad idea because your head, so, yeah, it's gonna fall down on our heads. I don't know about the shoe thing. It's probably a good idea to um leave the same pair of shoes at the office that you wear. So again, I come in the office in my street clothes, I change into my scrubs, I put my right. gown on, and then I get ready for my day with um and when I go into the treatment room, I'm gonna put on my N95 mask, I'm gonna put on my face shield, I'm gonna put on my gloves. And that's not necessarily the the correct order, and I would encourage our listeners to go to the CDC website and download the posters on donning and docking, putting on, taking off PPE, because there's a specific order that you should do it in to prevent you from getting cross contaminated.
1: So let's go over the order really quickly of donning your PPE. How should you put it on as an assistant or a a dental healthcare professional?
2: Oh, you're going to ask me to go and do that. I, I honestly, Julie, really, I have to pull up the poster because I've been All so right, we'll pull
1: up the poster. Okay, we got to
2: do that.
1: We'll let you pull up the poster. Um, let's go over some of the things that we should be aware of of the N95 because there's still a lot of confusion, and now I'm hearing issues with dental assistants or dental healthcare uh, practitioners that are uh, feeling lightheaded that Mm -hmm. are having issues with tinglingness in their arms. Um, The CO2 levels might be elevated. So what are, what, if we're going to wear an N95, um, what do we need to remember that we need to do with those N95s?
2: Absolutely. Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to fill out a medical questionnaire and it's available from OSHA. Mm -hmm. And not everybody can wear an N95. Right. If you have any respiratory problems, if you have any circulatory problems and it may make you lightheaded, although, I also know people that use that as an excuse well i get lightheaded so i can't wear one now think about protecting yourself right. and and i think we have to take a step back here first and foremost um the the biggest difference between an n95 and a surgical mask like a level 3 mask okay. is the seal the particle filtration and the fluid resistance is pretty much the same okay. but it's in in the big droplets of any type of virus or or bacteria won't get through those masks but the tiny less than a micron <laughs> excuse me um droplet or not droplets particles that get aerosolized that could contain covid or measles or tuberculosis if they're in the air and you have gaps around the sides of your face mask they can get into your inside your face mask when you inhale and the, because of the particle size they can get into your lungs and that's how you get infected right so the The medical questionnaire is the must to to see if it's even appropriate um, for somebody to wear. And then they have to be fit tested. And there's a lot of confusion about fit testing because the ADA in their return to work toolkit Mm -hmm. interpreted the information differently than OSHA did. They said that the ADA said that fit testing is suspended. And OSHA says, no, fit testing is not suspended, just annual fit testing. It's so postponed
1: because of the, the fit test kits, and I became a fit tester okay. for my office and for my mm-hmm. area clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't. I just got my fit test kit, but it look was on back order. Yet, so I'm yeah,
2: hoping. yeah. So it was
1: on back order, and they are on back orders. And I would recommend that um, you know dental assistants look for a path to or it's somebody in their office to get fit tested because if yeah. you are using this and, and it stays for the next two three years, there's yeah. going to be an annual update. Just buy your office a kit. And that way you can do it there. It's cost effective for your office. You don't have to have somebody come in and, you know, so yes. And the written uh, respiratory protection program needs to be in place.
2: Absolutely. It needs to be in place. And if somebody doesn't have the ability to get the training and get a test kit to test their team, it's available. All you have to do is do a Google search for N95 fit testing near me, and you'll find occupational health centers and it doesn't have to be done by somebody in healthcare necessarily because a lot of like here I'm in Kansas and there are a lot of agricultural um, companies that will do construction companies where these people have to wear respirators and so they have somebody. Now I've heard that some people are you know gouging on pricing to do these but you can find someone it's just right now I see a lot of people making excuses well I can't find it and I can't do it that is not an excuse to OSHA and so if you truly can't, you're in such a rural area where there's absolutely nobody, then you better be documenting every place you searched to try to get fit testing done and everybody you contacted. Because if you got inspected or if you got audited by OSHA, they're not just going to take your word for it that, oh, I couldn't get fit testing or right. I couldn't get N95s. Right. You better have good documentation that that wasn't possible. So, and,
1: and that's... in, in uh Um, you just can't be thrown um, an N95 mask and say, put it on. I mean, that's why the the fit test is there is to make sure it's doing its job um, and that it fits you properly to do its job. Yes. So, you know, your boss just can't buy one brand and hopes that it fits. I mean, and that's with any PPE. With your gloves, your mask, your goggles, your face shield. It has to
2: fit.
1: It has to fit properly. Nobody wants to be, one, uncomfortable and unsafe working in the environment we're working in if our things don't fit properly.
2: Absolutely. And it, not only do you have to make sure that it fits properly, you need to make sure you have it on appropriately. And so there's fit testing and then there's seal checking every time you put it on. And there's great, OSHA has updated some really, really awesome training videos. Um, We can post this up on the the pages um, that explain the differences in the respirators that talk about putting or demonstrate putting on an N95 face mask and taking it off. I love there was a picture on some website the other day or some Facebook page the other day with a dental assistant who was complaining because the the elastics on the N95 were scrunching her ears. She had it on wrong. You put that top elastic up over the top of your head, not over your ear. So um, hopefully she got my message that said, ooh, it's, it's not right. on that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, and we're so not used to, Wearing N95s, we're not used to having to have this respiratory um, protection program because we didn't wear respirators before. um, It's it it's just there's everything coming at us at once. I think that's making it so confusing and. Everybody wants specific answers and dentistry oh, absolutely. love things black or white, right mm-hmm. or wrong. Yes. And right now everything's gray because we don't have a lot of research. We still don't know everything we need to know about this virus. And people expect that there's answers out there and there may not be. So we have to do the very best we know how.
1: Yes. So did yeah. you find the poster on Donate? I, don- I found okay. the difference. So let's go through putting it on doning. Yeah. Yep. So what's the first thing? So
2: CDC says, first of all, to identify what you need to wear and get it together. Then you perform hand hygiene using hand sanitizer. Then you put on your gown. Then you put on your N95 face mask. And then you put on a face shield. And then you do hand hygiene again. And you can, again, do it with hand sanitizer and then put your gloves on and then go into the room. Although I might be putting my gloves on right as i'm entering the room or in front of my right yeah. right um and this again is all available in posters from the Poster,
1: cdc, CDC. Yeah. we'll put the links in our uh, yeah. our podcast and when we share it on facebook we'll put all the links there for everybody so that there's no question and you can download the posters um and print them for your office hang them and they should be hung in your employee room so yeah. that people know because some people don't know. We just tend to put it on and put it on and think it's all on. And, and there is proper ways to do it. So yeah. taking it yep. off now, you're done working with your patient. Yep. First you of all, take we have to remove our, our PP in right. the room. does not leave the operatory. Right?
2: Right. You take off your gloves and you throw them away. You take off your gown and then you can exit the treatment room. Then you do hand hygiene. Then you remove your face shield. Then you remove and discard your respirator. If you are not going to be reusing it and then you do hand hygiene again. So there's a lot more hand hygiene going on, but you have to remember that though that PPE is contaminated. So again, we take our gloves and gown off in the treatment room, most likely items to be highly contaminated. Um, We don't want them to leave the room. Then you leave the room, leave your face mask on, do hand hygiene, take off your face shield, um, take off your respirator, your face mask, if you're going to be changing it and then do hand hygiene again. So that's the proper way to do it. Now, we see a lot of the healthcare providers on the news that are wearing um, a surgical mask over their N95 mask to prevent it from becoming contaminated. And that is a good idea um, if you don't have a good supply of N95 mask. It will make it maybe a little warmer and a little harder to breathe, but it's a good way to preserve the masks. But we're hearing all kinds of crazy things about autoclaving the masks, disinfecting them. Lighting them,
1: um, li- our UV lights.
2: UV lights, um, putting them to- in the microwave. Oh yeah,
1: if you have to keep your mask and reuse it, what do you recommend as a storage container for it or some s- proper storage? So is, I mean, if you use a, a level three over the top of it and you have to reuse your N95 because of shortage, mm-hmm. What do you recommend as a point? Of, I've heard paper bags. I've heard a Tupperware container. I've heard putting it in the autoclave in a in a pouch. I mean, right it at all. So well,
2: the first have you thing recommended anything? i I have the first thing I would recommend I recommend is what not to do. Do not put it in an autoclave because it gets damp and then you negate the barrier protection that you right. get from it, okay? Don't put it don't put any kind of disinfectant on it. The same thing, you degrade the filtration in the, the um, fluid resistance of the face mask. So we don't right. put anything on there. Now there are some sterilizers for masks that are available. There's one on the market that actually is FDA cleared. It's okay. a dry heat sterilizer. It's actually a version of the old style Cox sterilizer that you can decontaminate masks in but it costs like eight thousand dollars. I saw that. I think
1: that's the one I saw that has a temporary FDA approval or something like
2: that. Well I think they got their permanent um, FDA clearance. I think they did.
1: But it was it was like
2: eighty six (laughs) hundred dollars. No so you know we could buy a lot of N95 face masks for that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know and and a lot of people are strictly looking for those um, molded N95 face masks but Crosstex has an amazing um, their isolator plus Isol- isolator plus mask okay. um, is a softer mask. It's not a molded cup one, but it's rated as an N95 mask. It doesn't gap. And those are, I'm told, quite readily available. And they're more comfortable. You can breathe better in them. So okay. try it. It's Isolator Plus from Crosstex. Right, and those-
1: I'll find the link and I'll put it in the podcast itself. Yeah. And,
2: and and those are made in the US. They're not made in China um, so that we don't have to wait for them to, you know, to get here. Um, on the on the planes or the ships or, or whatever. So okay. whatever you do to decontaminate your masks, make sure that it's something that's on the list that the, the CDC recommends for optimizing masks. But there okay. aren't a lot of techniques that they approve. Now, someone in a seminar has been telling people that, you know, because we know the virus dies in three days, but we don't know that for sure on a face mask, okay? Mm -hmm. They're saying have like three face masks and you rotate them. And so I have one I wear on Monday and then I let it sit in some kind of a container um, and the virus will be dead by Thursday. And so then I can wear that mask again. I'm guessing that OSHA would take a very dim view of that. And just because it dies on fabric in three days doesn't mean it's dying on that specific item. And that's I think the biggest issue we have right now, that there are a lot of studies that show that certain types of things work. Like The big deal now is fogging with hydrochloric acid um, because it breaks down into salt and, and water. And we go in and we fog our treatment. Right.
1: Yeah, well, go over that. What do, you th- what do you think about the whole fogging?
2: Well, first and foremost, I don't think fogging is going to be an effective thing long-term because right. it's going to kill until the next patient comes in. Okay. And you can't feasibly fog after every patient. You need to evacuate the area. Um, How are you gonna do it? Now, if somebody wanted to fog their office at night before they go home, great. And it's good until the first patients come in the next day and then we start creating aerosols again. So it can't be the only thing we rely on. Plus, the other thing I think that hasn't been studied, in fact, I was on a webinar yesterday with one of the top experts on researching this whole this whole area that we don't know yet for sure that it actually kills COVID. They're making the the assumption that because COVID virus is susceptible to um, oxygenation, that we know it's going to kill it in the air if we use this oxygenating product. Well, there's not a study yet that validates that. And what are we doing if we're fogging and we have lots of electronics in our treatment rooms and in our sterilization areas, what is that going to do? And then one of the things that was emphasized very heavily, if somebody was going to use that particular technique, the hydrochlorous acid, is that you have to have what they call a the very pure solution that's at a very specific um, concentration pH okay. balance that if you do a homebrew, which people are also promoting that, yes. you may not have this pure product. So you're going to get more salt residue. It may not be effective. So I would say to everybody, stop trying to find the workarounds, go with what we know, where's the science behind it, not just a study that was done five years ago on Ebola, because that's what many of these crops are, you know, aimed to kill, wait till we get the science on COVID and then go from there. But- air purification looks like it's a pretty good idea at this point.
1: Yeah. And I did buy a unit for each of our rooms and, you know, read the directions where they should be and and stuff like that. And if, you know, do I know if it really, really, really works to purify there? I'm I'm not really sure. Um, I'm hoping it does, but I think it also puts our, our team and our, patients at ease that we're trying to do everything we can to help the situation and, and it's, it's wonderful to have anyways in the office an air purifier because sometimes you get some terrible smells yeah, yeah. And, and it's a nice noise reducer it's got a nice noise to it so you know it's kind of soothing um you know but it was it's great it's got a you know it looks nice in the office and so you know we'll see and like you said until the scientific research comes out that these purifiers are are doing what they need to be then you just you know go with
2: that. Exactly. And there's some documents, um, the ASHRAE, which is the um, heating and cooling industry standard setter, um, they have some good documents on infection control. We'll make those available too, because they have some specific um, recommendations about the type of HEPA filters, the Mm -hmm. ratings on those. And if you do UV light, and it depends on apparently the speed at which these purifiers work, if they work too quickly, they don't have an opportunity to um, remove viral particles. And so it has to be at a certain rate that they draw the air in and circulate okay. it back out. Um, but it certainly creates a healthier environment and something that we really should have been looking at a long time ago. We should have been way concerned about aerosols for a long time, for a lot of things, We because of measles, because of Legionella that may be in, in some water lines because right. of influenza and colds. And also, because if we're removing old amalgam restorations, some of that mercury can get aerosolized and get into the air. Now, granted, it's going to fall probably pretty quickly because it's, it's heavy. But if it's small particles, then we are exposed to those. So we should have been been worried about aerosols for a long time. And COVID just happened to shine a really bright light on it. And now I think OSHA is going to be taking a much, much closer look at us because of I was
1: aerosols. I was thinking about mercury the other day. Um, because it's first of all, it's the heaviest metal in the periodic table. Right. And second of all, when I started, which you're before me, so you probably remember this is used to take the whole bottle of mercury, which weighed five pounds and used to squeeze it into the amalgamator in certain much. And then you would put the powder next to it and you'd put the lid and you'd let it shake up and then you'd put it and then you'd squeeze it in gauze. And you. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, we did all of those things. Absolutely. And now I'm
1: thinking, you know, people are worried about Corona. I'm like, man, I, I used to handle mercury with almost <laughs> like my bare hands, you know? and Absolutely. It's, it's just so funny. And I was thinking, because I restored a dental cabinet um, from 19... Oh,
2: I saw that. That was awesome.
1: Yeah. And there was enamel paint. So when, I think when all the OSHA and, you know, you couldn't have wood because it's very porous in the apertory, a company probably came in and enamelized all these beautiful dental cabinets that are mm-hmm. out there. And I'm like, I probably have the black one from all the lead that, I, you know, my son and I spent hours removing and sanding and not wearing a respirator, you know, yeah. just out in the garage as everything's flying around. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I know. I'm like, if I don't die from
1: the black lung from that, then, you
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I know that I have some permanent lung damage from my days of, of working at Chairside. And, and back in the, in the 70s and early 80s, we didn't wear respiratory protection. The right. only time we really wore respiratory protection was if we were really so sick that we should have been home, but we came to work anyway and wore a face mask. Other than that, we didn't do it. And so I have had chronic bronchitis, and anytime I get... Um, Uh, some kind of a respiratory infection it every time I get one it gets worse and worse and worse because Mm -hmm. of the damage that I have so it yeah it's it's not necessarily a safe environment
1: it's important so we had a lot of questions we put out there so let's go through our questions and answer them to the best of our knowledge all right I want to know how many times you can wear an N95 mask before they need to be thrown out
2: well that's one of those questions we really don't have an answer to Um, a lot of factors weigh in on that Um, Were you wearing a face shield over it so that it didn't get damp? Right. Um, And were you wearing another face mask over it? There isn't any quantifying information right now because they're meant to be disposable. So I don't know that anybody has validated for us, unfortunately, how long. So that's one of the things that you're just going to have to look at. What's the supply I have available? And And how how are we caring for it? Yeah, and how are we caring for it? But remember, don't use any kind of disinfectants on them. Right. Don't put it in the
1: autoclave.
2: Don't put it in the autoclave. No.
1: All right. It says, I recently read an article that stated it is recommended dental professionals wash their face after between patient treatment. Is this something that Mary believes should be done?
2: Oh, that's interesting. I had not heard that. Well, again, I think it depends on what you're wearing for PPE. Um, right. Certainly. And I can remember back in my dental assisting days going in, you know, we did a a procedure on a patient, and there was a lot of blood spatter. And seeing, you know, going in the bathroom and going, whoa, you know, look at this. And mm-hmm. before we wore gloves, I'd see it maybe underneath my fingernails. And you know, we're just like pretty nonchalant about it. That's the case for face shields. I who has time to wash their face? Mm-hmm. If, if you want to put makeup on when you go to work, then what are you going to do? Um, not yeah. that that could be a factor, but I think rather than worry about washing faces, let's wear face shields, and then we don't yes. have to worry about it.
1: And well, because it's also a time devotee too. I mean. Yeah. You know, we don't, we, we're not going to have, we're going to have to lengthen our appointments as it is. And now if we want to throw in there washing our face and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um. So then they wanted to know about the makeup too. You know, should we not be wearing makeup to work? I mean, I don't wear anything but mascara because my face breaks out and it gets oily and it comes off in the mask anyways. And yeah. so, you know, I look like a, I woke up on the side of the street. Um,
2: <laughs> besides mascara.
1: But nowadays you're not gonna be able to see anything but my eyes anyways. So
2: it's right. not gonna matter. Well, you know, I think in some cases, this is a little bit of like overthinking, perhaps. And again, if you wear a face shield, there shouldn't be any particles getting on your face that would, right. you know, say that you couldn't wear makeup or shouldn't wear makeup and, and so forth. So I don't know that I'd worry about washing my face or not wearing makeup. Wear a face shield.
1: Wear a face shield. Okay. How are you going to get rid of aerosol after each patient? We must treat all patients if they're infected, right? How are yeah. we supposed to wear a mask for four to six hours a day and perform even extra work?
2: Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's one of those examples of something that's not going to be easy, and we're going to have to get used to it because we mm-hmm. cannot. And actually, what the OSHA guidance says is that if you are in the presence of aerosols, you should leave that face mask on, that N95 particulate respirator on all the time. We put it on when we first start working on a patient, and mm-hmm. we don't take it off unless we're going to take a break um, or eat lunch or whatever. And um, it's, uh, it's not going to be fun. I think what everybody's going to have to do, number one, is get the um, air conditioner temperature turned down so that we're yeah. not getting too hot. I hate being too warm. Right. And again, look at the kind of face mask that maybe will be more comfortable to wear all the time. And again, that Isolider Plus from Crosstex may be a very, very good option because it may not make you quite as warm. But people do it in factory settings all the time. And so Mm -hmm. we're whining about, "Eh, I don't want to wear it all the time. Other people do it. It can be done.
1: And the thing is, I think we're going to have to slow down our schedules. Yes. It's important that we are not rushing. And our office is very, we're the only dentist in the 20 mile radius. And we've always been very, you know, time conscientious and and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And we're going to have to even slow down slower than we were before. I what? mean, all these practices that are double booked, triple booked, all the, pe- the people in the office, the workforce. And it's just right now, I'd rather be safe than sorry. And I exactly. just think that we have to, as a, a dental team, just slow it down a tad. It's always going to be there. The patients are always going to be there. May you not produce or collect as much? Yeah, that's going to happen. But right. i'd rather not get shut down and i'd rather not have something happen i'd rather be safe than have something happen
2: you're exactly right and and again i keep reminding people this is temporary right but keep in mind we're still in the middle of a pandemic no one has declared this Especially pandemic new york over. <laughs> and so we've got to we've got to take care that that we're safe now until we have vaccines right. until we have some reliable testing to be um to be done and the The biggest issue right now is that there are many test kits available, but so many of them are inaccurate. Um, One of the ones that was so touted, and it's the one they've been using in the White House for testing everyone, um, the saliva test from Abbott has been shown to have about a 48% inaccuracy rate. So that's a pretty scary thing if we're relying on that. And I know there's people out there telling um, dental practices that you need to be testing and and the ADA, and, and I do think there's a place for testing when we know we have some reliable available tests. Right. Um, The ADA has been advocating for dental practice acts to be changed to allow dentists to do um, these types of tests. And a couple of states, I know North Carolina, I believe is one, and I don't remember what other state um, has enacted that, but it it will take all 50 states to change their dental practice acts to allow it. And that's great, but it's got to be something that we test at that time that the patients come in. So they come in, you know, 15 minutes early, they spit in the tube, we analyze it. And then if they test negative, then we can treat them that day, but understanding that there may be some false negatives. So we can't back off on the PPE requirements. So we, you know, we have evidence that the aerosol stays in the air for up to three hours. Now those tests were done, some were done a number of years ago, some were done recently. Um, Not necessarily in a controlled environment in a dental um, um, treatment room, but the best estimate that I've heard, and and it is an estimate from some of these experts, is that it could be anywhere from 30 minutes to maybe an hour that that aerosol stays active, and there has been COVID in those aerosols. So that's where the air purifiers come in, um, building HVAC systems. Perhaps can be changed so there are more frequent air exchanges Mm -hmm. happening in a facility. Um, And I've become a big advocate of extra oral suction devices. And I know these are not inexpensive either. But when you look at how they work, that they really control so much of that aerosol. But even using an HVE controls, according to studies, ninety percent. Well, and and that's what we were talking
1: about on another um, forum. Is that we tend to uh it was with the, the dental lines or the handpiece with dent supply that we tend to as assistants the to the minute the dentist shuts the handpiece or moves it away from the tooth we shut the hve off uh-huh. that we're going to n- need to change and tweak how we use the hve and how the dentist uses a handpiece cuz often they don't even step off the rheostat and they're whipping it out of the mouth
2: that is very true and so
1: it's going to be more conscious of them to Step off the reasat, leave that ham piece in the mouth. Wait till there's no water coming out of it, and the the assistant still has the HVE on, and waits a couple seconds afterwards, and then retracts everything out. Right, can't just. You know, I've done it several times. It's just a habit. The minute I see him moving away from the tooth, I know he's going to shut the handpiece off. So I shut the HV off and move it away. Well, now I'm going to have to be more conscious of my practices with the HV.
2: Sure, absolutely. And if a rubber dam can be used, that's even better, but it can't be used all the time. So we know that. Um, The biggest concern, and I think this is why the hygienists are so very concerned right now, is the ultrasonic scaler. And um, I don't know any hygienist that wants to go back to doing strictly hand scaling. I blew my hands out carpal tunnel syndrome in both hands. Well, with- that's what
1: I was talking with my hygienist about. I'm like, I love you girls, but I don't want a disability claim in a, in six months because your right. hands are like, you know, curled over and redder. You know, we need to find a good solution that helps yes, protect you, but also helps you accomplish what you set to go to school for.
2: Exactly, exactly. And so even if the, the doctor doesn't want to use these um, extra oral um, evacuation systems. I think they have great application in the hygiene treatment. Yeah, room.
1: absolutely. As we
2: know we have evidence that the um, aerosol from the the ultrasonic is the the greatest offender. It creates the most. But even things like looking at turning some of the water down on the handpieces, operating the handpieces at a slower speed because we don't obviously want to create a bunch of heat. Um, on the webinar that I listened to yesterday from all these experts, they were saying maybe not even use the air water syringe and I, I don't know how that would work. that would right. be um, a lot of of adaptation to get used to not doing that, but there are a lot of tweaks that we can do to control those aerosols. but do I think we should do our usual you know we take about five minutes maybe to tear down and set back up a a treatment room and bring another patient in? No, I think that we need to space out those patients um mm-hmm. And I, you know, we don't have a number and everybody wants to know how long should I wait? I would say probably 30 minutes is a good guesstimate at this point. Yeah. But we don't know.
1: And like you said, it's not forever. It's no. interim implications until we can get a handle on COVID. Yep. Um, right now we don't have a handle on it. And what's to say our state is in phases and we open up and all this traffic and people, and then the numbers go back up and people are getting sick. So exactly. it's, we have to do our part, I think, to keep Things going in the right direction. Uh, our last question was: um, Are we expected to wear hair bonnets if gowns are not available? Are rain couches a good substitute? That's what our doctor bought for our return.
2: Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, I think we addressed you know, the my hair bonnets before. <laughs> We're kind of... I not imagine how warm that will be. I right. mean. You would practically want to be in your underwear underneath that and because it's going to be so very warm. It's not going to be, right. I don't know any antiperspirant that's going to work under that. I think that's a, a bad idea. And, you know, I think it goes back again to, oh, the gowns are not available. If you search enough, you can find gowns. You can find them. I have talked with all my clients who's the first thing, well, you know, you told me I have to do this and I can't find them okay, here's some thoughts, you know, go here, go here, go to Amazon, go to dental suppliers that you maybe haven't worked with before. And many of them have them. But I think what we're doing is in some cases is looking for an excuse not to follow the guideline. Because right. first of all, we don't like it. And so, well, I can't get them. So there's my reason not to do it. You can get gowns. You can go to Walmart yeah. and you can buy them and order there. them. Yeah. There's there, it's, it's not that gowns are not available, it's that right. we don't go find them,
1: and that's what we did. We bought um, all new gowns, eight apiece for each girl and for the doctor. And I will be the one doing the laundry because I'm mm-hmm. the one implementing it. Um, I said I'll take on that responsibility, but we're washing them, change them every patient. That's right. one question I had about the gowns that I saw on a forum, and I tried to look for the answer, and maybe I couldn't really find it. And, and knowing my infection control stuff, it's one I've always struggled. So, disposable gowns they should go in a red no medical base or are they are normal regular regular just trash.
2: regular waste you put them in the same okay. waste container that you would put your gloves and your um okay. surgical masks in and all that no they're not regulated waste and okay. i know that there's a lot of people that are concerned or adding we're sending all this to the landfill i get it i understand i'm probably right. the the biggest recycling person out there but it is temporary it is necessary and it's just what we have to do. But if you don't want to be sending that to the landfill, then go buy some, ga- yes. some buckets.
1: And I bought laundry baskets with a red bag in them yes. just, to, just to know that, you know, so that patients don't go touching the garbage and, you know, exactly. know that, that's our lab coats and they need to be washed and stuff.
2: Exactly. Like. And like, that is required. Your contaminated laundry when it's in the office, right. Um, either has to be in a, in a red bag or in a container with a biohazard label on it. So that's absolutely the right thing the right thing to I do. I think it's
1: just more cost-effective and mm-hmm. And, I do. and it, it fits properly. They're nicer looking than, you know, and I don't find we feel so scary looking when we're in, you know, instead of a disposable. And right. you did ask about hair bonnets, and I think we went over that before, yeah. that maybe Please. we should, yeah, you
2: know? I don't think it hurts. And there's all kinds of, you know, cool ones out there that you oh, can yeah. get. You want to be creative. You get can on Etsy. They're all on Etsy. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, and, and I think about that. I remember in my hygiene days doing all that hand scaling and and going home and picking calculus out of my hair, which, you know, made me run for the shower. And so, yeah, I think it's a good idea, but it's not required.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. We got a lot of great information and I appreciate you taking your time. Absolutely. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to Mary, where can they reach you, out to you, Mary?
2: They can reach me on my website, marygavoni.govoni.com, G-O-V-O-N-I.com or email me at mary at marygavoni.com. And just put um, podcast, if you're going to email me, put podcast um, in the subject line or rockstar dental assistants, something that helps me know where the question's coming from because I have done I don't even want to count how many webinars and podcasts that I've done. I know, done. you've been
1: a busy lady, and I appreciate you taking time out. And sure. just so all listeners know that I've probably saved Mary's last name wrong. I'll call it Giovanni. It's Gavoni, okay. um, Giovanni. <laughs>
2: I know. I I get Giovanni a lot. People want to make it sound just a little more Italian. It's not a problem, Jules. She
1: does have, uh, you know, Facebook pages for superstar dental assistants that she gives a lot of useful information. Absolutely. And we just appreciate your time. So to all you dental assistants out there, please stay amazing, stay positive, stay focused, and we'll see you soon. And be safe. That's right.
0: Wow, right? Thank you so much Mary and Jules for helping us all learn what proper PPE looks like and just giving us all the information that we need to be comfortable treating patients and seeing patients and, and knowing what, uh, you know, the recommendations and guidelines actually are right now. And remember it's a fluid situation and I just, I hope that this episode shed some light for you guys to make you a little bit more comfortable, but as always DA Rockstars, Instagram, Facebook, dental assistance, rock, Instagram, Facebook, or the website, and find your tribe. Dental Assistance Worldwide Group is a safe place for us, but until next time, keep on suctioning.